Hello, and welcome to our podcast, The Midnight Ramblings. I'm Jenny Silverstein, and I'm with my dear friend from Ladue Junior High, Carrie Ofstein Rosenthal. If you are joining us for the first time and you are wondering what this is all about, Carrie and I are two menopausal friends who can no longer sleep at night. So we decided the best thing to do would be to create a podcast about what we and others think about when we can't sleep. So as we like to say, let's get ready to ramble. I am so excited to have a good friend of mine, Anthony Pearson, on the podcast today. Anthony, born in 1969, is a Los Angeles-based artist who works in photography, painting, and sculpture. His abstractions evoke a meditative and contemplative space that is resonant with both the naturalistic aspects of the Southern California landscape and the late modernist vernacular in which he grew up. His work is in the permanent collections of LACMA, MOCA Los Angeles, the Hammer Museum Los Angeles, as well as many other institutional collections, both in the United States and internationally. He is represented in Los Angeles by David Kordansky Gallery. But not only is Anthony an incredibly accomplished artist, he is more than anything else, one of the most down to earth, caring, and decent human beings I've met. When he speaks similar to his artwork, his words stem from a deep reflective place, and I find myself slowing down and really contemplating their meaning. Anthony is one of those rare people who simply speaks the truth with no apologies. And I suspect he's been up at night contemplating life's mysteries from this exact place where truth and perplexity collide. I also want to mention he's the father of two amazing daughters and an amazing wife, who is a good friend of mine as well. Um, and I want to ask Anthony, what are some of the things that you've been thinking about? I'm, like anybody else who's, um, you know, my, not, not anybody else, but many people, you know, my age and who have my um, responsibilities with my family and my, my uh, studio and different things I'm, I'm doing. Uh, you know, I have stress in my life and sometimes I wake up, I feel kind of rattled. Sometimes I wake up, I'm feeling okay, but I'm sometimes wondering if my exhaustion is, mm. is too high, that it's too much, you know, going on in my personal life and my professional life and that it's overwhelming to me. And so when you're preoccupied, what are you preoccupied with? You know, different things that have occurred in my life over over a period of time. You know, I caring for my elderly mother. She passed away in September of 19. So Ramona and I had, uh, she was uh, a person who needed our attention. She lived in the home with us in like an in-law unit. And that was very preoccupying. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the pandemic and the way it affected um, my children, and my business that was uh, concerning, but it was also uh, disorienting, right? So when something is disorienting, it gives you, you don't have a sense of place. And when you don't have a sense of place, you don't have the ability to ground yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. So that was, that was a, a preoccupation. Um, and then my daughter uh, suffered from an undiagnosed illness this winter. And that was very hard for us 
to figure out what was going on with her. And she eventually um, was remedied, uh, you know, through sur sur surgery. But that was terribly preoccupying to have a child um, of yours not well and not not know uh, the answers, you know. So yeah. so these are things that, 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 you know, as much as people want to um, focus on um, uh, material status and, uh, self-care and, and, um, being serviced, um, and, uh, all these other things, um, life has the other side of the wheel, which is, you know, the hardcore stuff. And, um, those things, um, you know, will, and believe me, my sleep was disrupted during those times too, but that's in the terror state. That's when you can't sleep because you're terrified that you don't have an answer and you wake up in a moment in the night just to turn your body. And in that moment of, of awareness, you then become awake because you're frightened, you know? Yeah. So how do you deal with that when you are feeling those moments of preoccupation or, for example, when you're worried about your daughter? How did you proceed through those moments? Um, by, by coping, basically, um, and by, uh, through um, prayer, um, faith in the doctors and faith in the medical uh, system and their expertise that they really do know a lot of things that I'll never know. And, you know, it, it boggles the mind when somebody thinks they know more about a vaccine than these people know who've spent their whole life working on these things. Um, I have faith, I have, I had faith in, in, in two, two or three of those individuals who helped us with my daughter's illness. I had, and still have very, very true faith in their ability to help people. And, one of the things about you, Anthony, that just strikes me is this um, way that you speak just, again, and it, it, looking at your artwork, I was just on your website, so just looking, um, it, it, you know, it's this way of um, inquiry into things. Um, and I think that you approached your daughter's illness that she had in that same way of being very discerning and trusting who you felt intuitively was the right person to trust. How did you know with, for example, these doctors that um, these were the right people to trust? It's always, always uh, the person who has the least degree of hubris and the least degree of presumption and the least degree of you know, this kind of element of, of, of a know-it-all. And it's certain, certainly fine to be a know-it-all on things that you know are fact. You know, I can tell you that my things are not going to break off the cleats and fall to the ground. I'm certain of it. They have redundant attachments. You know, I make wall-hanging artworks that can be two and 300 pounds, but I've engineered them and consulted with people to the point where I know that they will remain attached. But there's other things that I, I 
in life I'm not going to be able to tell you the answer to. Um, and I met some doctors who refused to diagnose my daughter's illness. They would not diagnose my daughter's illness. They said the illness had to present itself. We had to understand what it, what it was. And, and I trust those two men so deeply because they didn't have the hubris to say, uh, this is this, this is the causality. This is the, they, they patiently waited to understand what could have possibly been wrong with her. And, that, and those, those are the people who I trust. And, and, and if somebody gives me a line in business that sounds like it's too good to be true, I'm not interested in doing stuff with them. I'm wondering just along those same lines of using that philosophy, like where did that come from within you? You know, just having this sort of, um, it just feels like you've come more and more into your true self in a way. Uh, I think when we allow, when we allow ourselves to be a certain way and we, we, we strip away the ego and the insecurity and all that stuff. And we allow ourselves to, to be a certain way, you know, it, 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 you'd be surprised how, you know, you, you change as a person. I didn't see myself as that person. I surprised myself to become that person and to give myself, uh, you know, the allowance to do those things. I'm also in a field, albeit wonderful, and I have wonderful relationships with the guys who represent me in different things. I've been very fortunate, but I'm in a very, very superficial, air-kissed kind of field where there's a lot of uh, trend-driven stuff and superficiality and ego and uh, people wanting to buy expensive things. And so there's a vapid quality sometimes. Uh, you know, art can be a very, very deep historical and cultural uh, thing, but the, the, the commerce of art and what goes on in that aspect can be a very shallow thing. You know, that search for fulfillment and that humanism is, is important to me because it, 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 it feeds me to be able to uh, do something creatively. And it also orients me to know when I'm dealing with certain things in business and in my field and uh, things that happen, I have to have a true fulfillment and a true self and a true inner authority about things that matter to me in order to get past the air kiss and the, you know, the kind of um, superficiality of, you know, cause I grew up in a Hollywood home full of superficiality. And now I'm in a business that has a fair degree of, you know, superficiality in some ways, although you wouldn't think so. Mm -hmm. um, not the creative side, but the social elements and other things. You were talking about how with the doctors, you knew you could trust them because they waited for the illness to present itself before they gave you a diagnosis. Right. I'm listening to you say that and I'm thinking of it as it relates to your art 
because you've also used the word true and how that needs to be genuine and honest and of where you're at. And then also you said, but as a person, we are in a way waiting to present ourselves. It's sort of like you have to have the patience mm-hmm. to bubble up in a way. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it, it, it it's, I had the quote up, but it, it's reminding me of the just quote from Michelangelo, just how every block of stone has a a sculpture inside of it. And, and as the, the sculptor chips away, it's slowly revealed, you know? Um, and when it's revealed, it, it sets you free and you can't force it. It's just, it's revealed in it's, in it's time, whether it's, uh, an illness that, that reveals itself or is discovered or, or whether it's a, a piece of art or, or something in your relationship that, needs to be revealed or, you know, um, and, and some people, right. you know, they're so busy trying to, you know, crash the, the, the clay against the, the wall. It takes yeah. a, a certain patience and, and, um, frame of mind to allow whatever it is to reveal itself. Um, you know, I think leading by example and your, your kids kind of watching, well, there is no real hard you know, cut answer here. Don't you think that that's sort of uh, the journey of an artist in a way? I think that, 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 I think that, yes. And I think that you have, I think that you kind of have no choice often. I could have said, well, we're going to find out what's wrong with my daughter. Uh, Give her the ultrasound, which we did, but the ultrasound didn't show it. They said, give her the CAT scan, but the hospital wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't do it at that time. It's, 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 you have to go through those things and you have to find your way. And then the other doctor would say, I declaratively state that this is this illness. Well, I wrote that man a letter letting him know that it wasn't, you know, when it was all, said and done because we all want to say i'm going to live forever i will never feel pain i am you know uh, the most desirable person i am the king of the world you know whatever but it's not true you know it's you're reminding me of when i was trying to have children um, i had some difficulty and we went to a doctor and the doctor at one point had suggested had really had said you know and we had gone through uh, IVF and, and the, this one doctor at this one hospital was like, oh, you know, there's really, we'll give you another shot, but there's really no chance that you're ever going to have mm-hmm. children. And I'm just here to tell you that I did have children at a different hospital through IVF, but also I had children naturally without any help. Very um, interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And so, and the reason I'm mentioning that is There are things, I mean, to your point, I keep thinking about, you did such a great job of giving us this image of hanging your your pieces on the wall and how you know those things are not going to fall down. But to get to the point where you really know something, Mm -hmm. it's a high threshold, I think. Mm -hmm. And like you said, the word hubris comes to mind um, when someone says, oh, I know, I know. And I think the thing that really is telling here is this idea that you have to you have to know your own, I keep thinking of Jenny, the sculpture idea you wrote about Michael or that you said about Michelangelo and how 
if you sculpt, it'll it'll come forth in a way just like mm-hmm. with your children or the diagnosis or art. It's almost like time is the teller. The process, yes. yeah. And you have to you have to let it all fall away and let time be the teller of mm-hmm. the truth. And you know, will your picture fall off the wall? Time will tell. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> even if your picture, even if it does fall off the wall, you know, there's a, there's a. I mean, with with time and maturity and um, doing something that you know to be true for a long period of time. Like I'm a therapist. I've been doing it for a long time. Right. Anthony's an artist. He's been doing it a long time. You know, even as a mother, you're a mother, you've been doing it for a long time. There's things that, that you know to be true in your, you don't know a a million percent, but you pretty much, you can almost guarantee, you know, and the thing when you see your kids growing up and they come across these things where they don't know and they they think the world is going to fall apart and the picture is going to fall off the wall you can pretty much look at them. And I see a lot of these teens coming into my practice really, really afraid. Mm-hmm. And you can look at them and you can tell them the things that you pretty much know to be true. Yes. And that sense of knowing that the, the, the picture is not going to fall off the wall, that, mm-hmm. you know, they're not going to um, go off the path to where everything is, is, is not retrievable at that point, mm-hmm. you know, that sometimes um, the the cave that they fear to enter holds the treasure that they seek, you know, that sometimes mm-hmm. that they are going into these dark shadows only to d- discover and rediscover that, you know, they're going to be not only okay, but more than okay. And yes. it's really a cool thing. I think it is a process, like you said, Anthony. And I think only... Um, people who have had difficulties sometimes can, can come out the other side of it, you know, and, and say, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. you, these things, you know, I don't know to be true, but I do kind of know that they're true. You know, (laughs) it's like, there's the possibility of change. It's so you can know that, for example, that, that, that pictures, I, I love that this is the metaphor we've chosen for the day is that picture is not falling off the wall, come hell or high water, but the things can change. The wall can deteriorate and right. the, the things around what you have done can change. Right. So being open to that, the lack of hubris, being open to the idea that okay, in that moment, you know this to be true, but I'm open to the fact that six months from now, something else could be different. And, and <laughs> right? Is that fair enough? Why does that make you laugh? I love that you're laughing. Because I'm certain that the wall hanging uh, <laughs> will not fall. And there's, there's a reason. They have redundant attachments. Uh-huh. In order for them to fail, epoxies, meshes, strainers, cleats, ledgers, screws, backings, you know, all of these things have to fail. And I know that it's, if it's attached correctly to the wall, it's not attached to the sheathing of the wall, it's attached to the supports and the studs. So it becomes a part of the, the architecture almost, and it will only fail, you know, when the earthquake happens and things, things, something that huh. will make it fail, you know, but 
it's it's but there's other aspects that I cannot tell you that the pigments won't fail or that if it was put under an air conditioning duct that it wouldn't have efflorescence or there wouldn't be some problem with the surface. Mm -hmm. I can't I can't tell you if somebody let the sun hit it if it would be you know stable for decades. But well, all, th all things are, to a reasonable sense, you know, all things are, are, are fugitive and vo volatile, fragile. Yeah, and it's, it's not, it's such an amazing metaphor for the psyche, you know, the way you're describing all the screws and everything. You know, you can do this inquiry into yourself and mm -hmm. know these things to be true and have every screw attached and every, and it's not... You know, and so you'll be best prepared for mm -hmm. when the earthquake does happen. That's a better way of putting it, is that I've done all I can do to make sure that it will not fall and kill somebody. Yeah. There's nothing more I can do. Right. Yeah. And my point is, it's life is the plot. We can't know what's coming at us. We no. can't know if there's an earthquake or whatever it is. We've just seen too many strange things happen. Pandemic right. or 9-11 or something unbelievable. Or anything that, that's a surprise, you know, right. um, an illness, you know, a, a crash, um, mm -hmm. a death, whatever mm -hmm. it is. We can't control the plot of life, but we can control, we can, we can set ourselves up to be best equipped and we can control how we react to the plot. You know, we are the characters and we and and the construction that we've made in our whether it's in our artwork or in our mind have better prepared us for how to react to those surprises and that is again um being the best you know um inquirer being, uh -huh. being inquirers <laughs> inquirers uh -huh. that we can be and being open to you know whatever it is that happens that we are um, in, in some respects, the captain of our, of our, um, ship, but as, as Freud said, you know, we are not, um, you know, the master of our own house, you know, that, that we can, we right. can try as much as we can to prepare and to, to, you know, tighten all the screws, but the unconscious is going to boil up. Yes. Things are going to happen. Yes. And we, at the end of the day, have limited capacity, limited control. We have to live our life with the 90-10 philosophy there. Sort of like, we, we are gonna go through it thinking that Anthony and believing solidly that Anthony's picture is not falling off that goddamn wall. That is that is there, it is staying. Right. So, but there is a small percentage that something wacky can happen in the world and having the lack of hubris to understand that yes. helps us, I think, proceed healthily. Sure. One of those people who worked with me, they could have been perverted and put little half-inch screws in there sure. just to be destructive. I have an image in my mind of just, you know, those earthquakes that happen or, and that Anthony's picture is like standing. <laughs> <laughs> I like that a lot, Jenny. And my, my mother-in-law, before she passed away, she had cancer and, you know, she was so brilliant. And by brilliant, I mean, just like where if the doctor told her something, she was like, well, they can tell me that, but I'm allowed to go research it and find out if I agree. Right. With that. And she did all of this research. And there were three women 
who she was diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer at the very same uh, time. And she lived two years longer than that. Now that may uh, have been a coincidence, but she used to uh -huh. say to me, and I thought this was really interesting. She used to say, I have learned that if I do everything within my power that I can do, and this gets to your point, Jenny, if I do everything I can do, then I can sleep at night, ironically. Uh -huh. <laughs> then I can sleep at night. And maybe that's yes. why you sleep so well, Anthony, because you <laughs> do everything you can do, and then you're like, you put it to rest. I'm uncertain, you know? I, I, I don't know uh, why, I, why, you know, it's something that as I was thinking about the podcast and I was thinking about what was asked, you know, and the idea around it, this idea of uncertainty and what it is I'm dreaming of. Why am I sleeping so heavy? I can't recall. I woke up and I was covered in sweat. I had sweat ponding in my collarbones. But am I ill? Like maybe I'm not. Maybe I had a bad dream. Mm -hmm. You know, and I don't, I don't, I don't totally know why. You know, it's uncertain. And and I kept thinking as I was thinking about this idea, you know, well, there was the French uh, uh, philosopher Jacques Derrida is this kind of like heavy French theory was really in vogue when I was an art student in the nineties. And, you know, these um, French uh, post-war philosophers who would talk about post-structuralism and, and post-modernism and, and uh, deconstruction. And this guy in his obituary, you know, he, his whole thing, he said to somebody, his urinal, uh, it was in a urinal, you know, he was urinating next to <laughs> somebody. This was in his obituary in the LA Times. He died maybe 15 years ago. And the man said, you're Jacques Derrida. You, and he said, I'm not sure. I'm uncertain if I'm Jacques Derrida. Because that was his entire thing was to say, well, I, we don't really know. You know, what these things in that they say that everything is Western oriented. We only look at the world through the masters and the classics and the, but there's somebody in some other small part of the world where that's not the way that it's oriented. They don't think about Latin, uh, you know, as a root in a language. And so these guys kind of brought all this forward, I guess, in a way to say, we don't, we don't, there is no singular truth. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't know. I love that. I'm not certain. I mean, I'm yeah. just loving, I mean, I'm, I'm the lack of, I mean, it's funny you use the word hubris. And I think that's so, I, I like, I like that not being certain is powerful as opposed to as an insecurity or anxiety. <laughs> it's just well, I think, remarkable. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that when we enter that place of uncertainty, the true journey begins. Oh. Because when we come out of hubris and the known that um, all of these pillars are, are the way they are. We, we just interviewed a person right before you who came from a small town, but it sounds like uh, maybe a, a town your mom might've passed through where, you know, um, Bibles and she was in church six days a week and all of that. And it was wow. so beaten into her what yeah. is known and uh, what you should know. But the truth is at the end of the conversation, we got to the point where, you know, 
there is what is known. There is no known. There is no certainty except for the things deep inside that you, that's your intuition. That's your, that, that, that you feel it's, it's, it's a bit hard to describe what, what you know to be true, mm-hmm. but you know it when it is true. And you, and mm-hmm. when you trust that knowing the world realigns, mm-hmm. I see people every day in glimpses realigning. I see them going mm-hmm. off the path mm-hmm. uh, because they're uncertain and they are pulled in so many different directions and, and their life becomes very chaotic. And then I see people who listen to that knowing behind the knowing uh, of the, of what they know to be true and things realign in a way that, you know, um, and, and, and that in that, I do really believe that the universe works in, in that way. In, in, in almost like we're kind of, um, magnets that whatever we think about and whatever mm-hmm. we know to be true, we attract, mm-hmm. um, that knowing and, um, and we can only prepare again so much and, and screw in the screws the way that, that, that we want. And then there's a releasing of that mm-hmm. knowing mm-hmm. and, and kind of like, I've done what I can do. And now I'm just going to, to trust. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm going to add one more thing as a mother, my mother, my motherly nature is coming out right now because I can hear one of my children saying, well, well, if, if you keep, if you're uncertain about everything and everything's uncertain, then what do you have? I can hear the anxiety beginning to roar. Mm -hmm. And I think that's when it gets to the 90, 10% possibility. Mm -hmm. Like you, you do everything you can knowing or assuming that, okay, this, you know, there's a high probability that that fucking painting is not, co- or sculpture, mm-hmm. whatever it is, is not coming off that wall. Mm-hmm. Okay, there is a small possibility. And we're keeping ourselves open to that possibility because right. there's growth involved in understanding that the possibility can happen. But at the same time, it's okay to have faith and trust in the 90%. Yeah, right, because I... Uh you'll waste your time obsessing on something that is improbable. Yeah. You know, when you could do something. I had a, a very peculiar thing happen in 2013, uh, a studio that I had leased that was recently reconstructed. It burned down. Uh. And, you know, I was, I came away with some losses, but I had not moved in completely. I'd only been there for one one night and I plugged in the refrigerator that we use and it brought the electricity down the conduit and there were nails in the conduit that arced, burned down, you know, a pre-war bow trust building on Jefferson Boulevard at, at, at uh, near La Brea, the 5,000 square foot building destroyed. And it set off so much anxiety because I said to myself, I'm responsible somehow. How did this happen? I must have left chemicals. I must have left the the solvents and the rags, but I didn't. And it was quickly found by the insurance inspectors and everybody that all of the, I require um, in order to be able to ably hang my pieces, we sheathe the walls with plywood. So we don't have to search for the studs and the supports. 
So the person who attached the plywood, who was hired by the man who owned the building, he did it with a giant nail gun. And you're supposed to just screw these things in with two and a half inch screws, as Jenny keeps going back to the framing, the right length attachment. Unfortunately, he used the four inch nails out of a big gun and they went through the conduit and it burned down the building. But I constantly would go around unplugging things before I left my space for years thereafter. And my attorney, Alan, he told me, what you, you don't have to worry about that anymore. You know, we handled it, uh, you were compensated, um, we figured it all out. That will never happen to you again. Your studio will never burn down again. And I was quite surprised by the way he said that to me. And now maybe if my studio is out in Malibu, it might burn down. But just an ordinary block structure in the grid of the city like that, that's never going to happen to you again. And when he told me that, I finally gave myself permission to just say, okay, I'm not going to have that problem. I'm going to have some other problem, you know, but that's not that's the problem that happened before. And that would be like if I got into another relationship with another art dealer and I said, well, I'm always scared you're going to treat me and you're gonna rip me off. Somebody took advantage of me last time. They're different people, but I carry with me all these things that happened before. Sure. And I really passed by all those things, mm -hmm. but I'm still allowing them to be a part of my makeup. And you survived them. Yeah, I survived them. Yeah. That's over that 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 fire that happened. Right. And you learn from them too. And, and I and I tried to learn from it, but I easily could have allowed that to to turn me into an unreasonably suspicious person yeah. in regards to electrical fires, which are exceedingly rare. And it only occurred in this circumstance because the breaker was a fuse breaker from, it wasn't a proper, it was an old, old building that hadn't been upgraded. Well, I, I see people getting stuck in those um, moments, which can define yeah. for years. And that, that really is that fear, false experiences appearing real. Sometimes attorneys can set a boundary for you and say, I can reasonably say that this will never happen to you again, which helps your mind relax. Yes. And it's the same thing that I feel about a diagnosis with an illness or a, or a medical um, psychiatric diagnosis. A lot of times I don't want to diagnose something or put a label on it mm. because then that defines what, you know, how a client may see themselves. But sometimes yes. it provides um, a release and freedom that, oh, now I know, you know, what this is and, and clarity. And this, and, and so because I know you know, I can move forward in a, in a new way and I can release that. And I want to just add one thing to that. Mm. Just because you know that part to be true, right? So you can mm -hmm. make a diagnosis. It doesn't mean that what happens in a month or around it yes. And understanding right. that is really what allows us to, to keep growing. Like right. they're, not they're not stagnant. Right. You know? Yes, that's right. It's not stagnant. And that, and as Jenny describes that, the one person is struck in terror because something's wrong with me. And the other person says, 
Now I understand. Now I can change. And then the third person, as you say, they just stop eating gluten and all of a sudden the illness. <laughs> I mean, there's somebody who had that. They were well, so burdened by something that they were ingesting or alcohol or something, and then they change. You know, it's funny because I can remember in grad school, I, I, I got my MFA in poetry, and I remember thinking to myself, oh, my God, I hate when people call me a poet. I hate it. Mm -hmm. And the reason I hated it is I hated to be uh, categorized in mm -hmm. any way. Mm -hmm. I still hate it. I hate mm -hmm. I don't like, and so I am someone who like, if someone says you're anxietal, that, that bothers right. me because right. I'm not just anxietal. No, more than just this is situational. Right. I happen to have anxiety from time to time, but I, <laughs> but I am also can be very calm. And so right. I think the issue with the diagnosis is, is the context in which it's given. If you give it mm. with an understanding that it, it can have wings and it can grow mm. and it can blossom. It can also go away. It can also change. Then the naming of it. That's right. But, but just to name things and then not understanding that just because you named that I have anxiety, that doesn't mean that's the same as Jenny's no. or Anthony's anxiety. But, but what if somebody said to you, you, you have schizoactive disorder, but if they said to you, you have a stuffed up nose or you have to pee. That would be very, I mean, very hard. Yeah, I have to, I have to pee. Yeah. And I peed and now I don't have to pee. Yeah. I have a stuffed up nose, but it was seasonal allergies. Yeah. I have right. schizoactive disorder, but wasn't it the stress and the, all of these things? No one would talk to me about all that I've been through and I just get so triggered. Because I have no understanding of these things. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is your mindset, the way that you take it in. I mean, I think, you know, um, and I talk about this to so many people because we have a choice in every moment how we want to perceive it. We can perceive it through the eyes of fear or through the eyes of faith and possibility. And oftentimes, depending on how our picture is hung, right. We, right. we can perceive it like, oh my God, this is, if I have this diagnosis, it means that this is going to be how I, you know, my, my life is, and yes. I'm going to have a terrible existence or wow, look at what I'm going to do now that I know this and how I'm going to either help other people or change it, change it exactly and transform it. I and understand it. And Einstein said that, you know, that there's two ways to look at life, you know, one as, as if everything's a miracle and one as, as if, nothing's a miracle. And, and it's a choice in every moment, how you look at, you know, um, or, you know, how the picture's hung on the wall. It's really up to you to define. Mm -hmm. I found this really, really interesting. Oh, I mean, good. Interesting. And I want to thank you so much, Anthony, for joining us. It's been a real pleasure getting to know you. Thank you. You're I had awesome. fun. And to our listeners, thank you as well for joining us today. If you like what you heard, please be sure to subscribe. To learn what we're all about, visit us at themidnightramblings.com where you too can become a fansomniac. And of course, be sure to tell your friends because your support is necessary to make this thing take off. So for the Midnight Ramblings, this is Carrie Ofstein-Rosenthal and Jenny Silverstein. Thank you again for joining us. We'll see you next week. <laughs>